Hello, this is Paul Fahey and Monica Pope, the host of Apostles Field Guide, a podcast where we explore the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the Catholic Church to become agents of mercy in our world. This is the third and final episode in our discussion of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops' Pastoral Letter Against Racism, Open Wide Our Hearts. So in this episode, we're going to wrap up this document. We're going to we're going to go through the last section of Open Wide Our Hearts, which is called Walk Humbly with God. And this section has uh, the the bishops propose eight paths forward, like an eight point plan to some extent. Um, you know, some of these points are kind of addressed to clergy and, and bishops. Most of them are addressed to the people of God in general as proposals for how to move forward. So we're going to move through these eight points. In the section that starts, um, that is titled Walk Humbly with God, the bishops uh, urge us to press forward uh, without fear. Um, and, and that means, they say that that means to walk humbly with God. But Paul, it it goes immediately into saying that, um, so we're talking about the work of evangelization, right? It says evangelization is the work of the church, and it means not only preaching, but witnessing, not only conversion, but renewal, um, and not only entry into the community, but the building up of the community. It's important for us to note, Paul, I mean, we're sitting here holding uh, a, a document from the USCCB in our hands against racism that was written a year and a half ago. I'm sitting here, um, you know, sort of praying into and thinking about this walk humbly with God and this work of anti-racism, not only preaching, but witnessing. Certainly, I think that's what I the the point that I'm trying to make is one of the things that you and I, one of the reasons that you and I chose this document, the timeliness of it really shines a light on that we are not doing this work well. Um, We have not been doing this work well. When I think back about what you had opened, I, maybe the last episode, um, had read to us the opening of the 1968 Catholic Caucus of Black Clergy that talked about the American Catholic Church, you know, being a white racist institution. That was in 1968. Um, 50 years later, I am aware of how not committed the American Church appears to be uh, in this work of anti-racism. I am not sure that we are preaching or witnessing. I mean, I mean, I just read an article last night about this document, and the article was titled something along the lines of the, the Catholic Church in America has a white supremacy problem. Uh, mm. But it talked about how there was a proposal uh, to include in this document, Open Wide Our Hearts, a statement um, condemning the displaying of images like swastikas and the Confederate flag. And the bishops ultimately voted that proposal down. And and some bishops talking about the Confederate flag as, uh, you know, a symbol of heritage and, and not a symbol of racism. And one of the other reasons was, well, a swastika is already widely ubiquitous with 
white supremacy, we don't need to reiterate that. Uh, we don't need to reiterate that. So uh, the very fact that you're bringing that up would um, indicate to me that you would have loved them to revisit that decision um, or disagree with that. The, the, the point of the article was um, this is a problem precisely because some of the leaders in <clears throat> these white supremacist organizations uh, are also publicly Catholic as well. Yeah. So these eight points. Yes. In Walk Humbly with God, the first one is acknowledging sin. Yes, which we've talked a lot about. The second is being open to encounter and to new relationships, which, yeah, we've also talked about. I mean, I mean, that's that line that you said sounded a lot like Pope Francis, where he says, uh, you know, the command of love requires us to make room for others in our hearts. Right. The third is resolving to work for justice. Yeah. Which right. which I totally agree with most of this section uh, in the document the, the U.S. bishops talk about an ad hoc committee they made against racism. And there really aren't many concrete examples, though I was kind of so, towards the end of that section, it talks about parishes. Uh, locally, including in our own parishes, practical plans should be made to provide further opportunities for qualified candidates who historically have been excluded through hiring and, con and contracting practices. And then it goes on, in addition... To overcome discrimination, a community must interiorize the values that inspire just laws and live out in day-to-day -day life the conviction of the equal dignity of all. And there it's quoting the Pontifical Council on Justice and Peace, which is great. But the example that it gives on how, to, how a community can interiorize the values of justice is we should not promote neo-Nazi and Ku Klux Klan organizations in our communities. I'm like, that's, so for having such a low bar for what racism is, the bar for inspiring people to interiorize justice is, well, we shouldn't support the Ku Klux Klan. I absolutely can't disagree with you, Paul. And so, which means I absolutely do agree with you. It seemed like they really reversed, that the, they set this low bar it was really personally human, personally challenging. And then that, which just throws out the low bar and sets up almost this... Uh, like a caricature of what caricature. racism is. Yep. That's really true. Although if I were, was a person of color, I wouldn't think that the Ku Klux Klan is a caricature. And yet, propose that as the example to not, don't be that guy. Come on. Yeah. We've got... A lot more work than to not be that guy it's okay. it, it's a scapegoat for for my own prejudice it's it's the person who says well you know i'm not hitler so i'm a good person yeah i'm not a nazi i'm not a neo-nazi i don't shave my head and i'm not in the ku klux Klan. sure in other places in this document it gives instructions for how a community can interiorize the values of justice it and does. it's pri primarily through listening to other people's experiences that's that's the first step so again, it goes back to our call to listen to other people's experiences. Are we Not, willing to be changed? Yeah. Are, are ch we willing to be changed by the experiences and the truth and the reality of other people? Yeah. And, and not just to gain information. No. But, 
but to even in even in some way bear some of their suffering even if all i'm doing is being with them in their experience although okay the bishops tell us that this transformation of the human heart impels us to act yeah this is the first step yes i suspect well we go back to the politics the application this the culture warriorism much of what we see from all sides is an attempt to change the way things are without first attempting to change or allowing God to change the way I am. I really appreciate that reminder of the interiority of this, uh, the essential, not only a reminder, the, the, the exhortation that it has to begin in, in my heart. Yeah. The strongest moments in this document are the ones where they are speaking particularly to the personal conversion of the individual, me, yeah. Yep. Or any other me, any other person who is reading this. Um, which goes to the next point, there are eight points, is educating ourselves. Um, a historic education is really important, but listening to others and educating myself about the true experiences of others, but as you had said, not merely to have more information, but to allow that information to transform, to, that, that through that information, God brings about a transformation. In yeah, yeah. And these next several points, to me, they better answer the question, how does a community interiorize the values that inspire justice? Um, this is how they do it, through education, through listening, through working in our churches, through changing structures, through working for everyone's conversion, right? Like, these are the ways, these are the ways that we do it. I almost feel like the line about the neo-Nazis was, and maybe it was because this document was written by a committee. They're like, well, we have to mention neo-Nazis somewhere. So we're going to put that in here. I don't know. It, it, it seemed like it was dropped from, from a shelf, for sure. Um, yeah. The last one is, is then commitment to life. A true commitment to life would incorporate all of these other seven points. Yeah. So, so that last one, I, w- I want to spend a moment here. The last one, point eight, well, and point six, which was changing structures, okay. which talks about policies and institutional barriers that perpetuate inequality. Okay. If the bishops are going to say that racism is a life issue and that we must work for policies that break down the injustice, the racial injustice in our society, I think I think the problem is that that message, which is very consistent and very true, but within the American political, American partisan system, it's really difficult because of how much the church has emphasized uh, other threats against human life especially abortion, which isn't to say they shouldn't be doing that. The problem is that in our particular country, with our partisan politics, politically supporting policies that work for racial justice and supporting policies that oppose things like abortion put someone at the same time on two polar opposite ends of the, of the partisan spectrum. 
Funny how that turned out, huh? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just difficult because uh, it's hard. It's hard not to hear what the bishops are saying from the framework of, of partisan politics, because part of me wants to say, OK, bishops, if you're so concerned about about policies that entrench racism or they don't fight racism, then then stop supporting conservative politics so much, you know, but that's but that's me positing my partisan politics onto what the bishops are saying. Right. Right. Um, uh, there's a line from and I think it's the best line. And there's a lot of great lines in this document. But this is one that I think is the best from the, the U.S. bishops document on voting, forming consciences for faithful citizenship in 2014. At one point, it says the Catholic call to faithful citizenship affirms the importance of political participation and insists that public service is a worthy vocation. As citizens, we should be guided more by our moral convictions than by our attachment to a political party or interest group. When necessary, our participation should help transform the party to which we belong. We should not let the party transform us. I'm going to come at from a different perspective. I feel that these two profoundly integral life issues, one of them life from the moment of conception, the dignity of the life in the womb and the dignity of the life of the uh, the persons of color and our indigenous persons and the concern for each of those groups of persons being really separated by the political spectrum. You would charge the bishops with saying, so stop being so conservative. I would charge the bishops with saying, to the Christians in this country, stop being so political. Yeah, I, I think, and and I don't think that that's a call to not be political, right? In the in the passage I shared from the U.S. U.S. Bishops document on voting, they're saying being active in political life yes. is is a great, is a noble vocation, and certainly it is. And and as lay people, as lay Catholics. One of our charges is to be active in political life. That's one of our responsibilities. So, so then say it differently. Stop being so no, it's, it's that it's that we need we need to cooperate with grace for our own hearts to be converted. And then we need to help convert the structures that we're in. Instead of allowing our conversation to be framed by these yes. right left structures we need to help change the right-left structures. I think this is going, again, going back to that passage from the document on voting. If I'm a Democrat, I need to change the structures, the injustices within, within the Democratic Party. If I'm a Republican, I need to work to change the structures within the Republican Party, not just hate the Democrats. If I'm a Democrat, not just hate the Republicans. Yeah, okay, all right. Did you, by the way, read the article that is going, um, it's circulating right now, written by a religious sister who was an atheist punk rocker, who I, we should, we should link this article somewhere. It's so worth reading. She talks about how when she was an atheist punk rocker, she had all, she embraced all of these various, um, viewpoints, um, care for the environment, anti-racism, 
anti-sexism, a concern for the humane treatment of animals. She embraced all of these different viewpoints when she came back to the, as an atheist punk rocker, when she came back to the church, Paul, and she's reading the catechism, she sees that all of these viewpoints that she embraced as an atheist punk rocker are in the catechism. And she was astonished to find out that the actually, um, like Christian Catholic tenets of belief and, and morality. And her proposal was this, is that until we start to tell our story and speak the truth from the, from, from the perspective of Jesus Christ and evangelizing people to the world, that other people will co-op these perspectives and tell these stories better than we will, um, but not as truthfully. They'll promote, us, but they're but not as truthfully. Yeah, and we Catholics in the United States, and when I say we, I mean both both the laity and uh, and the clergy. Unfortunately, at, at least in my thirty-year perspective, collapsed all of what the church teaches about social justice and care for the environment into you have to vote against abortion and not in teaching, right. but, but in, practice. in practice and in rhetoric. That's, that, yeah. that's certainly the case that a lot of Catholics in the U S um, don't just see abortion as a preeminent issue, which it is, but, but all of, <laughs> uh, everything about being Catholic and everything about Catholic social teaching was collapsed into just opposition to this thing. Which then gave a particular political party a lot of free reign with Catholic thinking and Catholic American Catholics were willing to jettison some other incredibly important perspectives, um, anti-racism, um, uh, Pope Francis's Laudato Si, the care for the environment, we were willing then to agree that those were leftist uh, ideology, and they're not. When, when we sort of hand over Catholic ideology to a political, uh, a, a Catholic thought to a political ideology, we are left with um, partisanship. We're left with being completely split and some of our best ideas are on the right, and some of our best ideas are on the left. If yeah. we look even, if we look at the difference between the statement and the movement, Black Lives Matter. Paul, Black Lives Matter. They matter to God, they matter to their families, they matter to our communities, they ought to matter more to our churches. Black Lives Matter. So I've been saying no ifs, no ends, no buts, no dot com, no hashtag, no political movement. Black lives matter, period. But when you add the hashtag and it becomes a political movement, you've got the statement black lives matter. How can you argue with that? That is attached, that has been, a, a, that has all this other ideology attached to it. Black lives matter as a movement in their tenants, seek to decentralize whiteness. Okay, that's scary to me, 
but that's probably a good idea. They seek to decentralize heterosexuality. They seek to decentralize uh, a, a birth binary uh, birth uh, gender. Um, they seek to disrupt and dismantle the nuclear family. And that's their own literature. We should be able to say Black Lives Matter. We should be the, the church that Jesus Christ founded, that is powered and illuminated and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We should be the ones saying Black Lives Matter. And we should be the ones who are giving the definition on that because God himself is the one. Um, th this revelation of humanity is from God. But, and maybe this is too controversial, um, <laughs> more so than what we've already said, um, I see Black Lives Matter in a similar way that I see right to life, where the statement right to life, especially when it comes to the unborn, is absolutely 100% true. But the organization Right to Life and its full-throated endorsement of um, even things that go very much against the philosophical and theological and moral statement about the right to life, it's not dissimilar. Like these things are not dissimilar, but we framed everything through our political partisanship. So just a few days ago, um, Bishop Barron, he released a video uh, kind of denouncing Catholic internet trolls and the, the, the anti-message of evangelization, that this, this, this really yeah. vicious infighting. Yes. Um, but anyways, I, I was reading social media, like different people commenting on this video on social media. And the way that they talked about Black Lives Matter you would think that they literally believed that anyone who associates with not just that, not just that organization, but that movement is trying to bring about, you know, is a, is a Leninist trying to bring about a Marxist revolution. Like there was just this profound fear in that uh, anyone who associates with the Black Lives Matter movement is the enemy to everything that's good about this country. And there was no compromise with that. Um, and I mean, I mean, there were people, the, the, the priests that called a couple of weeks ago called people, people who are members of Black Lives Matter, maggots and parasites in his homily and his bishop suspended him because of those statements. There's a petition going around to defend this priest because he was speaking the truth to power by calling people who supported Black Lives Matter maggots and parasites because black lives matter is the enemy to everything that's good in this country it's like we're stuck in such this rigid partisan thinking that that we can't we can't discern the wheat from the chaff and we can't support what's good if there's anything bad we have to throw it all away um well i have to say to you paul that i would i, I i'd read about the priest and and the movement to support him um, I would throw away the movement Black Lives Matter. Um, I think that it's a sham and I think that it exploits persons of color and their race and justice that is due to them. It exploits the justice that's due to them. Um, but the but the movement's different. The movement's different than the organization. It's like there's the pro-life movement, which is a coalition of all these different people with all these different ideologies that all believe that unborn lives deserve protection. 
that's different than the organization right to life or different than the organization priests for life. You, I, okay, so you and I are thinking we may be able to separate this. I, I'm saying that a lot of people are not as discerning. They just really aren't. They're reactive and they sort of cling on to the thing. And for many people, the movement is not different than the separation uh, than the than the organization. But I was I'll say this to you: if the American Catholic Church was embracing and evangelizing these profoundly important non-optional realities and truths, if we were driving this narrative, if we were telling this story better and best, then we wouldn't be having these, um, we would not be having these partisan conversations. The Catholic statement, the Catholic reality, the Catholic view um, born from the revelation of God himself, it would take the day. We're we keep handing over our truth and the telling of our story to somebody else. We come to this moment here where I think it's really important for, I, I feel compelled to make a case for our Christian brothers and sisters to listen, to subjugate the political and the social response for a little while and sit with the spiritual and human reality of racism versus brotherhood. We subjugate so many of these profoundly important truths to a, a political application, Paul. We unwittingly demonstrate like the, the idolatry of politics and social structures being the thing that's going to save us. Um, and the, the, and the, the thing that frames all of our conversations. Yes, the thing that frames all of the conversations and, and the path that we are, by which we are all going to be sort of rescued. The Christian community in America, by and large, has subjugated the faith, their faith, the gospel, has subjugated the gospel of Jesus Christ to their politics. I have warned so many Christians to be careful of how you are washing your politics with your religion, because the people who hate your politics will hate the Jesus that you attach to it as a prop. Politics are culture warriorism. All of those things need to be subjugated to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not doing that. Um, in this particular moment, we're responding far more to the statues coming down and the riots, then we are responding to the call of personal conversion in our hearts. And you know, Martin Luther King had said that the riot, that rioting, um, he denounced rioting, he acknowledged that the riots were the voice of the unheard. He asked, what is it that we are not, that, that we're not hearing in the unheard? But then he went on to warn that additionally, for all of the other reasons that he denounced riots, that riots appeased the guilt of the white community. Man, that is, that was like, those are, that's like word of God. That's like prophetic stuff right there. We're living, we're reliving that right now. So many of my Christian brothers and sisters are screaming about the riots and, and certainly this terrible tension and horror and the, you know, between 
the community and police, et cetera. Um, and we are being distracted by this terrible, noisy and dangerous circumstances that we're standing in and, and living in right now, distracted to the point that we're not actually looking at how the Lord wants to show up our hearts. So we're, we're very easily distracted. Um, by the way, as far as the police go, it, it, early on documents, um, the bishops talk about police brutality as being um, a sign of systemic racism, but they also denounce any violence or re repercussions against uh, police. We were almost at the end. About, we're almost to the end. You want to ta talk about life um, and changing structures. No, Maybe. that's what. Okay, go ahead. I said what I wanted to talk about. All right, and that was it. Um, yeah. So I think we're, let's say, I want to end with something. I'd like to read something from Pope John Paul II, who is my, the love of my life. It's, it's pretty wordy stuff. Hang on. How about if we end this way, that I read parts of this quote from St. John Paul II, and that you, do you want to, do you want to end us in this prayer asking the Blessed Mother to intercede on our behalf. You want to end with the with that prayer? Yeah. Prayer? Okay, cool. All right, so let's see. Um, so then we're coming to the end of this, and I'm going to read some parts um, from this brief section called Going Forward. So the bishops say, going forward, almost 30 years ago, St. John Paul II reminded us just what is at stake. Each person is called to a fullness of life, which far exceeds the dimension of his earthly existence, because it consists in sharing the very life of God. The loftiness of this supernatural vocation reveals the greatness and the inestimable, val inestimable value of human life. We pray that the reader will join us in striving for the end of racism in all forms, that we may walk together humbly with God and with all of our brothers and sisters in a, in a renewed unity. For there is no place for racism in the hearts of any person. It is a perversion of the Lord's will for men and women, all of whom were made in the image and likeness of God. So we're going to end our discussion with the prayer to our Blessed Mother that, that the bishops share at the conclusion of this document. And we'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mary, friend and mother to all, through your Son, God has found a way to unite himself to every human being called to be one people, sisters and brothers to each other. We ask for your help in calling on your Son seeking forgiveness for the times when we have failed to love and respect one another. We ask for your help in obtaining from your son the grace we need to overcome the evil of racism and to build a just society. We ask for your help in following your son so that prejudice and animosity will no longer infect our minds and hearts, but will rather be replaced with a love that respects the dignity of each person. Mother of the Church, the spirit of your son Jesus warms our hearts. Pray for us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Apostles Field Guide. 
This podcast is a production of Where Peter Is at wherepeteris.com. Our theme music, Tilting at Windmills, is composed by Mark Pope. You can follow us on Twitter at AFG underscore podcast or email us at apostlesfieldguide at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.